0: But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Well, how you doing? Just like that, huh? Summer's over. Summer's over. It's gonna rain this week. <sighs> yeah, it's already raining out there, a little bit. Well, it's good to see you. Hey, I want to say a word of uh, sincere thanks, exuberant, overflowing thanks to uh, Kathy Pruitt and her amazing team that. Uh, put on the the simulcast yesterday for the women here at the church. It it was an amazing day. Uh, Yeah. I didn't pass the physical, so I couldn't actually be here in the room. Um, But uh, I uh, was up in my office as a little fly on the wall and listening very carefully to everything that went on. It was just an amazing day, a good day of solid biblical teaching and worship and fellowship, and the women had an amazing time together. I've just heard nothing but good reports. And so thank you to that team and everyone who served in a variety of ways to make that uh, happen. Also wanted to say a word about Trunk or Treat. Uh, as Evan mentioned, we've we've done this every year since the first year of LifePoint, and some of you are in the room today that were there at that very first event um, you know, October 31st is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And um, I remember the very first trunk retreat. It was like 80 degrees, and it was like midsummer on October 31st. And so that one stood out in memory for being a first and for being really, really nice weather. And We've also had uh, torrential downpours, so uh, you never know quite what you're going to get. But we've done it every year, and we did it initially when we were first starting. We were just a little tiny, tiny group of people starting a church. And we said, we we want people to know we're here. And uh, so we we're just trying to get a little attention. And um, so we were over in Lacey. We set up in, in Horizon Point uh, at the Brinkman's place over there on Flute Street. And um, that's where we started. And then it just grew and grew from year to year to the point where, um, you know, people would say, is that church going to do that thing again? That was awesome, you know. And and so it's it's just been a lot of fun, so why do we do it? Um, some people are concerned well, you're celebrating Halloween, that's not exactly a Christian holiday, uh, but we do it and because um, as Evan has said, first of all, what what night is there when uh, the whole community comes out and is willing to mingle uh, and and so uh, it's a great opportunity for us to connect with people and uh, to uh, to extend. Um, some light in the darkness um, to all that's going on. And it's just a, a fun, fun evening. Um, last year, when we first were here, you know, we're kind of going, okay, so here we are. What what do we do now? And we said, let's do trunk or trade. Let's see how it works. And we did it out here in the parking lot and discovered that we were pretty much the only game in town, the only, you know, the only... Well, not the only, but there wasn't much going on last Halloween because of COVID. And so we actually had people that drove all the way here who saw our ad uh, online, who drove all the way here from Montesano. That, that's a pretty significant commute. Uh, and really from all over um, Thurston, Mason, and Lewis counties. It's just remarkable how many people came. We, we counted a little over 100 cars, and uh, some of those cars had just one parent and one kid in them, but others were vans just stuffed with kids. (laughs) And so, I don't know, what's that? Yeah, the back door of the van opens and here they come. So, um, you know, I'm I'm guessing we probably served just a guesstimate, 400 people, um, which is, you know, um, a a bit less than we're used to over in Horizon Point. Because uh, Halloween and Horizon Point, if you've been there, is like Mardi Gras. <laughs> the streets are packed with kids and parents. and um, So it's a little different ballgame over here. But we're going to do it again this year. We hope that you'll participate. It's a way for us in this new place to begin saying hi. We're here. We're friendly. And uh, to invite some people onto our campus and, and just have a, a positive time together. Well, that's just all. Um, that was just a free advertisement. Um, Let's get into our, our, our message today. You know, I grew up um, in a home that was given to hospitality. Trunk or treat, believe it or not, is, it's, it's kind of a hospitality-oriented thing. It's, hey, come onto our campus and, and have a good experience. So our home growing up was given to hospitality. My mom and dad loved people. Uh, At both of their memorial services, what I heard over and over again uh, was just how warm and loving they were. Um, And it was true. On most Sunday afternoons, uh, we had guests at our Sunday afternoon dinner table. Um, It it wasn't unusual for friends and neighbors to stop in unannounced at our place. And uh, on an evening, for example, and um, out would come the percolator. Any of you remember percolators? it's a thing for those of you who are young it's a thing you make coffee in and um, the percolator would come out uh, coffee would be brewed i didn't like coffee as a kid but i loved the smell of coffee as it just that aroma just filled the house and uh, it represented good times to me and so i've always loved that smell uh, something would come out of the freezer or the refrigerator uh, and uh, it wasn't long before dessert was served to go with that coffee it was just kind of a, a very commonplace thing in our home uh, when the church youth group needed a place to meet they were often at our house because we had uh, a huge yard a place to play volleyball big patio my parents hosted a weekly Bible study in our living room and uh, and really on every major holiday whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter uh Or Mother's Day, Father's Day, you name it, uh, we would have extended family at our table. Uh, Grandparents would always be there. I had a a great aunt who was only about this tall and uh, loved her. Uh, She was a widow, so she was always with us, aunts, uncles, cousins, usually others. Um, There was a little naval uh, installation near us, and so uh, there were often military personnel in our church who were far from home, and, and they'd find a place at our table, singles, Uh, who had nowhere else to go, maybe far from home themselves. Uh, My dad taught at a a technical institute, and uh, he often had international students. And so we often would have people at our table at holidays who didn't speak much English. And and so it was always interesting. And uh, not only that, but it wasn't unusual for my parents um, to invite traveling missionaries, uh, some of whom were personal friends, the evangelists, traveling Christian musicians to to lodge in our home for a night or two uh, as they had need. Hospitality was a major value in our home. I think that's why uh, I am so committed to hospitality here at LifePoint. It's, it's one of our core values uh, as a church. title of this week's message is Healthy Hospitality healthy hospitality in direct contrast to last week's title which was deadly hospitality uh, more on that in a moment i want to begin this message though by making a simple observation that hospitality is and always has been a significant value for the body of christ which is the church and again it's one of our core values here at lifepoint and it's it's a value that uh, needs to be learned and relearned on a regular basis the greek word that's translated hospitality in the new testament is philoxenia its literal meaning is the love of strangers the love of strangers and the apostolic writers each affirmed and commanded the practice of hospitality. For example, Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, Hebrews thirteen one to two Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And then first Peter four nine, Peter wrote, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I I love that one, you know. Well, okay. I'll show hospitality. All right. The text we're looking at today is a unique one. I'm going to guess many of you uh, maybe have never read it unless you're, you know, a person who um, reads through the Bible regularly. It's not one of those letters that uh, it gets a lot of ink, you know, and a lot of press. It's kind of an unusual passage. It, it speaks to a, a, a circumstance in the church, a moment in time, as it were, but it still is one that uh, applies even 2,000 years later. And, and so I hope that uh, you'll bear with me here as we look at it together. You know, we can think of about the first century uh, of the church in terms that um, we Americans usually reserve for those who conquered the West. Uh, following, you know, Lewis and Clark's legendary exploration of the Louisiana Purchase. Um, first came the the pioneers, uh, the trailblazers who, who braved mountains and rivers and valleys, and that's really not a very good, it's, it's the best I could do for a logo for or an icon for this. I was really looking for a kind of a fierce-looking pioneer, an individual, you know, with an axe in hand, um, because uh, these were the trailblazers. They they braved the mountains and the rivers and the valleys and the deep forests and the adverse weather and um, insects and hostile natives on their way west. They were the visionaries. Uh, they were the courageous ones who were willing to set out into the unknown for the sake of a vision or a dream or or maybe simply the answer to a question. You know, what what's over the next hill? Or around... Uh, The next mountain. After them came the settlers, the sodbusters, the entrepreneurs, the city builders, the farmers. Still courageous, still visionary, because they were still coming to a relatively primitive place, but they came for other reasons. They came to clear land. They came to build homes and plant gardens and orchards and to uh, build new communities, new cities. They they came to establish a, a brand new life in a brand new place. So with that as a backdrop, go with me to Ephesians 4.11 and stay with me here because you'll in a moment you're going to see where I'm going. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus regarding spiritual gifts and giftedness and roles in the church. He, and he says, he, Jesus, gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So you may recall that following Jesus' ascension into heaven, his, the, the inauguration of the church by the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the pioneers of the early church were the apostles, the prophets, the prophets, and the evangelists. If you want to switch in the word preacher for prophet, you can do that. You can switch out the word evangelist for missionary, you can do that. But they came first. The Spirit gifted and commissioned them specifically to go out from wherever it was that God found them and called them to the places and the people that he intended to reach with the gospel beginning, of course, at Jerusalem, as Jesus said, and then the province of Judea, and then north to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, places like Tenino, um, (laughs) Napa Vine, Forks, the uttermost parts of the earth. And as those first three groups of people did their work, as they pioneered the gospel into uh, areas that were unknown, people were evangelized. People responded to the gospel. Churches were planted. uh, And uh, leaders then were, were discipled and appointed to service. And each of those churches, each of those communities of new believers in Jesus, eventually needed the settlers who were the pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. So picture this with me. Just go with me here. As the churches were being established and the settlers, the pastors and teachers, began to do their work, the apostles, prophets, and evangelists continued to do their work. It wasn't that the, the apostles and the prophets and evangelists kind of hit a wall and said, okay, your turn, pastors and teachers. You're on. Do your thing. No, the, the 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 work of reaching out to new communities and new people and new nations continued on is still continuing today. But that group of people were sent out with delegated authority. They were sent out with the authority of the apostles. And they would support the work of the pastors and the teachers in the various churches by, by appointing leaders, by training them, by correcting them when necessary, praying for them, encouraging them and until those leaders and those congregations were healthy and, and somewhat self-sustaining. And these established churches then became the, the primary bases of operations and support for those who were continuing to travel. the the pioneer ministers. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? I mean, that sounds kind of good. But here's the deal. Similar to the tension that often developed between the pioneers and the settlers in the winning of the the American West, rifts would sometimes develop between the the pastors of the various local churches and these apostolic teams that... uh, John identifies in our text today as the brothers, the brothers. And some of those pastors and teachers in the local churches would say, don't mess with my church. Uh, don't mess with me. Don't don't mess with our leadership. We're doing just fine. Thank you very much. Uh, in fact, the local church might even refuse to accommodate the brothers and fail to show basic hospitality to them. That's the issue here. That's the application of the principle of hospitality in this text is showing hospitality to these travelers, the brothers, the, the uh, evangelists, the missionaries, the preachers. So it's this very dynamic that sets the stage for the conflict that's addressed today. And there are four major characters in this text. There's uh, the apostle John, who is the writer of the letter, uh, there is Gaius, who is its recipient. There is this guy Diotrephes, who is the antagonist, and there's Demetrius, who who is either the person who's carrying the letter from John to Gaius, or or another leader in the church where Diotrephes was exerting control. And then there's this other character that is this unnamed group, and we we'll just call them the brothers. That's what John calls them. And so kind of an unusual text, kind of an unusual message today. In verses 1 to 8, we see an affirmation of Gaius, an affirmation of Gaius, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." So there's that greeting in in verses 1 to 2. I'm going to start there. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Um, John is extending to his friend Gaius a wish and a prayer. And the literal meaning of the verb that's translated that all may go well with you is have a nice trip. That That's really what that means. Literally have a good journey. You can think of that literally, you can think of that metaphorically. Metaphorically, the word itself, the verb came to express a desire for a person's success, uh, that they would succeed in life, that they would succeed in their endeavors. The other verb translated that you may be in good health expressed just that, just physical health. And taken together, those those two things convey a, a prayer, a wish, if you will, for progress in one's pursuits and vitality in one's body that In in the words of Ben Franklin, that Gaius would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, The other thing you need to know about John's prayer for Gaius here is that it closely followed a well-known verbal expression that was so widespread that that we might call it a cultural custom or a cultural norm. Nearly everyone in those days opened their letters with a nearly identical expression. It was a, a custom of the day. It was so common that most people simply used the initials. You know, much like people online today use abbreviations for, for well-known phrases. Uh, I read online the other day that there's like 1,500 of those abbreviations that are used online, and I think, how in the world would you keep up with that? Um, in this case, it was these letters, sigma, epsilon, beta, epsilon, epsilon, epsilon. There it is. It stood for, here's what it stood for. If you're well, that's good. I'm well. Now let's move on with the rest of the letter. And that's not to say that John's prayer for Gaius wasn't sincere, that it, was, it wasn't was legitimate, it wasn't personal. But it is to say, and this is important, you're going to understand in a moment why, that from a cultural perspective, the language is actually quite customary and somewhat unremarkable. And I'm going to guess that most of you kind of got that, and I could have just moved on without even mentioning it. You're wondering why I even brought it up. Well, it's it's because of a modern misuse of Scripture that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, Again, verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. I think most of us have heard of the movement known as the Prosperity Gospel or Prosperity Theology. It's one of the deceptive teachings that's making its way around the church today. The, the central tenet is that God intends that every believer in Jesus will always enjoy good health and be abundantly wealthy. And they have adopted verses, uh, verse 2 of Third John as the text that proves their position. See, they will say, John is telling us that God wants every one of us to be spiritually strong and physically healthy and financially wealthy. And they've built an entire theological system around this very flimsy central premise, and that deceptive teaching has infected many, many churches. It's actually even uh, advancing around the world. See, it's always God's will, isn't it, that we grow spiritually? That our souls prosper, as John put it? And it's always right to pray for the health and the healing of those who are sick and suffering in some way. I came in this morning with a headache. It was, it was actually blurring my vision. And, uh, after doing the, the, uh, opening welcome, I went outside to get some air and Bill Mikesell was out there and he just put his hands on me and prayed for me and the headache's gone. Praise God for that. That's just a simple example. Um, It's always right to pray for the health and the healing of those who are sick or suffering in some way. And the day is coming when God's going to vanquish sickness and suffering. And that will come when our bodies are glorified in his presence, when the Corruptible inherits the incorruptible, and when the perishable puts on the imperishable in the presence of Jesus. But it cannot be said, it must not be said, that it's God's will that every believer on earth will always experience perfect physical health. It's just not reality. It wasn't reality in the New Testament times. It's not reality today. People do get sick, people do die. I actually have a good friend who subscribes to this prosperity concept, and uh, he's sick this week. Um, I I pray that he gets better, but, uh, you know, his claim is that none of this stuff's going to affect him. I guess that went out the window, see? I overheard this in yesterday's simulcast with Priscilla Shirer. She was interviewing a woman who had had a severe stroke and had long-term consequences, and this, this woman said, here in America, we have come to worship the notion of a pain-free life. And then she added, but that's not available to us. It's not a reality. It's not an, not an expectation, this side of heaven. So I just wanted to point that out to you. You're going to encounter it if you haven't encountered it already. You'll encounter it at some point. So let's look at then at this guy, Gaius. Um, Gaius. And again, verses 3 to 6. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love Before the church. And very quickly, first of all, notice that that Gaius is loved by John three times. um, He calls him beloved in, in the opening part of this section. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Secondly, Gaius walked in the truth. Not only walked in the truth, but he had a reputation for walking in the truth. And you know people like that. You say, man, that person just, they walked their talk. That's who Gaius was. Gaius probably came to faith under John's ministry. Notice he says, "Uh, Herefore I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And John consistently used that phrase, as we've seen, my children, for those who were uh, either were people he had led to personal faith in Christ uh, or were just part of his church, those whom he uh, had spiritual oversight of. Uh, Gaius was uh, a leader in a nearby church. I know that because... uh, I just don't think that John would have spoken quite so frankly about the church, about individuals within the church, with someone who wasn't also in a position of influence and responsibility. And someone said one said that you know, gossip is sharing the harmful truth with, some, with someone who is neither a part of the problem nor a part of the solution. I think that's a pretty good definition. And uh, John's not gossiping here. He's speaking to another leader about an issue in the church. And then uh, notice that uh, John supported the brothers, probably was actively directing their work. And again, these are the traveling, these are the itinerants who are going out, who are going from church to church, who are hopefully supported by those churches. And uh, they weren't necessarily known personally to, to John um, or, to, uh, or to the churches where they were sent, uh, but John supported them. And was probably actively directing their work. And then finally, notice that that Gaius was attested by the, by the brothers for his love. In other words, in their interactions with him, they had experienced his love. He had experienced his hospitality, um, his uh, his encouragement, his prayer, uh, all those things that go into the experience of Christian love. In verse six, it says they. Uh, John says they testified to your love before the church, and so picture a situation where these guys now have come to the church where John is, and as they're speaking about um, Gaius, um, they're saying, he's a good guy, yes. So the affirmation, I'm, I'm going to move on quickly here. The affirmation is followed by an exhortation. And he says, send the brothers on their way in a manner worthy of God. Send the brothers on their way in a manner worthy of God. And, and, and that expression in those days was a euphemism for make sure they have everything they need before they leave. Don't send them out empty. Don't send them out unsupported. Send the brothers on their way in a manner Worthy of God. Why? Three three reasons here. One is because of their motivation, that they went out for the sake of the name, John says. They went out for the sake of the name. What is the name? It's the name of Jesus. But it's not just his given name. As you may know, in in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, the, the notion of someone's name uh, had to do with uh, their reputation, their glory, if you will. Um, so the name of Jesus Christ going out in the name means that they were going out according to His word, with His word to communicate His word and His will, and and their success would bring glory, would bring honor, would bring bring good repute to the name of Jesus. So send send the brothers on their way in a manner worthy of God for that reason. Secondly, send them out in a manner worthy of God because of their need. John says they went out without any financial support from the Gentiles, that is, those who don't know Jesus. In other words, on the flip side of that, we would say they are entirely dependent on the church to support them. You know, last week you met Will and Katie Lowry, um, who I'm excited about. They're going to Birmingham, England. It's not Birmingham there. It's Birmingham. Uh, to be a part of a team that's going to be planting churches in England. And that is very, very exciting to me personally. I hope it is to, to you as well. You know, I, I've heard of pastors who are very, um, what's the word? Hesitant, reluctant to invite missionaries onto the platform in, this, on, in their church who need financial support. I don't know of a missionary that doesn't need financial support. They all do, all the time. Um, I'm never afraid to do that. Why? Because first of all, I'm, I'm committed to the advancement of the kingdom of God and, and Life Point Church is, a, is committed to the advancement of the kingdom of God. We're committed to the advancement of the gospel here at home and around the world. Secondly, I know that You are good stewards. You are generous givers. And uh, we have never taken on the support of a missionary or anybody in ministry uh, that has impoverished us as a church. God just provides. He does that as we do what is in his will and on his mind and in his heart. Uh, He he meets us there, and he meets meets our financial needs. And, And let me just take this opportunity to... To affirm you as a church for your generosity, um, our giving is strong here. I hope you know that our giving is very strong, and um you know we're none of us are getting wealthy. <laughs> That's not the point, but uh we had uh during during vision next, as we were purchasing this property, as we've been doing the developments, there was a point where our reserve went down to low. I'm just going to say low. And I um, was very concerned about that because we've always felt like we needed to... The, the wisdom is to keep a, a reserve fund as a backup, and and that reserve fund is back up to a healthy level, and that's a great indicator, and uh, we're able to meet our responsibilities. Um, here's the final reason that, that John says this to Gaius. He says, it's because of who we are as Christians. Um, We want to be generous with our resources for the work of the ministry so that we may, John says, be fellow workers for the truth, that we're partners in mission. So John follows this affirmation of Gaius with an accusation against this guy, Diotrephes, verses 9 to 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Uh, not, not a real hospitable guy, this Diotrephes. Um, and notice his character sketch. First of all, he, he wanted to be first. Jesus said, if, uh, if you want to be first, be last. Put yourself last. Because the one who wants to be great among you must be your servant. Diotrephes wanted to be first. He, he wanted to be, uh, He wanted to be prime, you know. He wanted to be the guy. And secondly, in that, he resisted apostolic authority. John says he does not acknowledge our authority. Third, it's possible, well, John says that he wrote an earlier letter, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So whatever that earlier letter was that John wrote to this church where Diotrephes was, we don't have it anymore. Why? Because Diotrephes probably intercepted it and destroyed it, didn't let anybody else see it. Um... Fourth, Diotrephes was willing to slander the apostles and the other leaders. Uh, He says, uh, he talks wicked nonsense against us. He's talking smack about the apostles. Just imagine that, right? Um, A leader in a church that was probably planted by an apostle. Diotrephes himself perhaps appointed by an apostle to leadership. doesn't acknowledge the authority of the elders, and he's willing to slander them. And then he says he refused to welcome the brothers. He he didn't want anybody else coming and kind of getting in his way. Not only did he refuse refuse to welcome the brothers, but he says anyone else who wanted to welcome the brothers in that church uh, was stopped and and excommunicated from the church, put out of the church. Diatrophies. whoo hoo! What a great guy. He was what some people have referred to as a church boss. And there's, you may have been in in a church where there was a dominant person who was even more dominant than the pastor, uh, who was influential and uh, who, who kind of pushed people around, asserted their will and their, and their ways. Diotrephes uh, was that person, and his, his mind was on the preservation of his own little kingdom with not the advancement of the kingdom of God. So affirmation of Gaius, accusation of Diotrephes, and then third, approbation of of Demetrius. You say, I don't even know what that word approbation means. Well, it means approval. uh, And it just fit with the other two words. So that's what you got. But uh, it means approval. It it means admiration. It means commendation. It means endorsement. um, Approbation of Demetrius. And listen to what John says uh, regarding Demetrius. And again, he's writing to Gaius. He says, beloved, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So first of all, Demetrius was an example of goodness. Um, And and notice in that exhortation to Gaius, Beloved, do not... Imitate evil, in this case, in context, personified by diatrophies. Don't let diatrophies be your model, your example for what goodness is, for what leadership is, for what hospitality is. But imitate good, in this case, I think personified by Demetrius. Follow the example of Demetrius. Whoever does good, i.e. Demetrius, is from God. Whoever does evil I.e. Diotrephes has not seen God, and so John is saying the strongest, giving the strongest possible accusation against Diotrephes, and asserting that Diotrephes doesn't even know the Lord; he's not even a, a genuine Christian. Pretty amazing, and yet he's a leader in the church. Demetrius had secondly had received a good testimony from everyone in this case. I don't know who everyone is. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess, probably the brothers. Uh, everyone that constituted that apostol or that uh, itinerant team that that John was uh, interacting with um, Demetrius had received a good testimony he has a good reputation um, when they came to john 's church the the uh, the brothers said hey that that guy Demetrius in that church over there and we don't, we don 't know what church it was, but that church demetrius um, He's a good man. And notice notice this, that, that John says about Demetrius. He has received a good testimony from the truth itself. What an amazing statement that is. The truth itself speaks well of Demetrius. In other words, the, the greatest endorsement of Demetrius is that he walks the walk and he talks the talk. Uh, he's the real deal, and, and and you can be confident in him. and And so John uh, adds his endorsement, um, as well as the endorsement of the other leaders. And then in verses thirteen to fifteen, John signs off, fond farewell. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. In other words, say hi to the church. Parallels Second John verse 12, I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face, and then our joy will be complete. Um, these letters are very likely written to different churches we don't know. How will we apply this? I mean, where does the rubber meet the road with this? And it's an interesting, uh, you know, case study, if you will. It's an interesting circumstance. We kind of get the point, but how do we apply it here to our lives and to our church? Allow me to suggest two ways. And the first is avoiding diatrophies disease. Avoiding diatrophies disease. Um, You know, if you you see a guy or a gal that kind of looks a lot like this diatrophies, acts like a diatrophies, put on your mask and practice a little social distancing. Don't breathe his air. I've been reflecting this week on the appointment of leaders, uh, such as pastors and elders, life group leaders and others, because we're at. We're at one of those moments in the life of our church where that is an issue again. And it occurred to me that there was a moment in time when someone, either John himself or another of the apostles or one of the brothers, appointed Diotrephes to leadership in his local church. Leaders in churches were appointed. They weren't elected. And whoever it was that appointed Diotrephes to leadership sincerely believed that it was a good thing to do. And so it occurred to me that everyone makes mistakes but Jesus. Even apostles make mistakes in the appointment of leaders. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, we kind of think of the apostles as having it all together, being kind of, you know, impeccable in their decision-making. And listen to what Jesus had, had to say about what ought to characterize church leadership in the kingdom of God. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many." See, what, what John was all about by his letter to Gaius was to begin a process that would bring about correction. Either Diotrephes would receive correction and repent, or he would be removed from leadership. And I want to say a word of, about the elders that God has given us here at Life Point Church. I am more than pleased to be able to say that your elders are men who have a sincere desire to serve the church corporately, but also to serve each of you individually. Uh, Are any of us perfect? No, no, (laughs) certainly not. Well, maybe Evan, I'm not sure. But... Do each of us have personal sin in our lives? Do we each have personal challenges? Absolutely. But I want you to know that none of your elders has a desire to establish and defend their own little kingdom. Um, Instead, each one of your leaders has a sincere and humble heart before God and a genuine desire to see the kingdom of God established in your hearts and in our church. I, I can say that unequivocally. And, and after 43 years in ministry, I've worked with a lot of different boards, and this one is exceptional. Are we superstars? No, but we love each other, and we love the Lord, and we love you, and, and that's a great combination. Someone once said that a good leader is first a good follower, um, I don't know who said that, heard it all my life. Diotrephes could not be described good. He has a good follower. He wanted to be first. He aggressively asserted not leadership, but control over the church that he wanted to rule. He was a controller. He needed to hear, he needed to to receive and take to heart what the writer of Hebrews said to the church, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. See, if your heart is, is, is for Christ If your heart is for the advancement of the kingdom, then you will obey the legitimately appointed leadership of the church of which you are a part, and you will submit to them. Diotrephes refused to submit to those who were in leadership over him who were the apostles and the brothers. But Diotrephes was insubordinate. His motto was, don't tell me what to do. And it seems to be the motto of an increasing number of Christians today. I, I think there is a a growing tide of a spirit of rebellion in evangelical churches. If you were here two weeks ago for our grand opening Sunday, you, you met Dr. Nate Hettinger, and I introduced him as our executive Minister Here in Converge Northwest are our, our district churches and Converge churches in Alaska, in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana. In other traditions, his title would be bishop. In our tradition, we call him executive minister because he has no real leverage. Because each local church is autonomous. I don't have to submit to him but I do, voluntarily. He's never abused his role. And so if Nate wants to speak into my life or into the life of our church, I listen. God God put him there. Because God put him there, I'm to listen to him. I'm to submit to his leadership. Here at LifePoint on the org chart, uh, I am the head elder That doesn't mean that I'm the king of all I see, as Dr. Seuss put it. I am the first among equals, and so 99% of the time in our decision-making, I'm going to submit my point of view to the other elders. Well, maybe 98.9. And that's the way it's supposed to work. We don't always have unanimity. We don't agree on every detail. But what we have is a wonderful harmony. And the reason is that we we have a willingness to submit to each other in order to lead this church in ways that are pleasing to God, not to ourselves. So we need to avoid diatrophies, disease. You know, one one of the dynamics I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about all of this is that gifts gifts that cluster around leadership in a sinful heart lend themselves to dominance. They lend themselves to control. It's the Spirit of God that mitigates that and creates a desire to serve, to come not, to not lord it over, but to come under and to serve. It's only the Spirit of God that can do that. And that's what part of what avoiding diatrophies disease is all about. The second thing is about appointing leaders. Let me just say, just say this. Titus, Paul wrote to, the, to Titus regarding the, the desirable characteristics of an elder, an overseer. He says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But notice this, hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, You may have heard the news through the grapevine that uh, Freddie and Robin Williams uh, are uh, selling their home here and moving to Boise, Idaho, in order to live closer to their children and grandchildren. And we are desperately going to miss them. Freddie is one of our elders. And uh, so one of the implications of that announcement is that I'm in the process now of seeking to identify and vet and appoint at least one new elder, perhaps more. And uh, that's not an easy task. So, So here's how I'd like to invite you to participate in that. Um, here's a question I'd like you to think about with me. Who at LifePoint Church is a Gaius? Who at LifePoint Church is a Demetrius? Someone who walks in truth and love, who has a reputation for genuine goodness, whose service is marked by servanthood, who is commended by church leadership, who has a true heart for the church, its people, and its mission. This is the man who should be appointed to be a leader or an elder in our church. This is the woman who ought to be appointed to a role of leadership. So I'm asking for your help. I'm asking you to nominate. We don't vote on elders here. They're appointed, but they certainly can be fully nominated. And uh, by the way, that passage in Titus is, is the filter through which we evaluate Prospective elders. Godly leadership in the church, I would say, is a demonstration of the gospel. It, it's manifested in sacrificial servanthood. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. And he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of the servant leadership of Jesus Christ. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, than to lay down his life for his friends. And so communion... This ritual drama, if you will, by which we Christians rehearse and recall his death, by which he offered the atoning sacrifice for all of our sin, the full and final payment for our sin, is also a ritual reminder, if you will. It's it's a rite of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Of God. Jesus, on the night which he's, in which he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given, which is given for you. Take it and eat it. And then after that meal, he took the cup, the cup of redemption, and and he lifted it up and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, the new deal between God and man in my blood. This do in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And let's drink it together. Will you pray with me? Lord, we remember you in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. And we're reminded that those who would lead in your kingdom must be servants. those who are called not to rule but to serve. And may that be true of us, whether we serve in a role of, as a pastor or an elder, our ministry leader, a Sunday school teacher, a youth worker. May we lead in ways that reflect the cross as we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen.